0: Banger! It's uh, it's good to be with you guys today, and I think it really is right to honour uh, all the people that have been so involved in making all that to happen. And it's amazing that uh, from this community, are so many gifts that are blessing so many people. There are about six hundred ladies there over the weekend, and that's awesome. And that's uh, as well to honour you. You're one of the most courageous leaders I know, and uh, thank you for your leadership in our community. Um, Okay, so I'm going to continue our series on relationships, and uh, today's uh, sermon is all about our mouths, and what comes out of our mouths, and how that affects us. So it is a little bit of a tricky one, because there's this uh, verse, there's a little bit of a ring on this, I'm hearing it, you got it Josh, thanks bud, Uh, because... It's amazing because God put this mouth in the middle of our face, <laughs> but what comes out of it can startle us. Have you ever said something that you're like, ah. you know, it's it's an amazing thing because like out of my mouth, like I'll like sometimes I get it right and I'll, I'll whisper sweet nothings to my wife, and then she'll like you know like gorgeous, and it's, uh, there's a little bit of skill. Like sometimes I get that right, not often. Probably not, often, not as often as I think I get it right, but anyway. But then at the same time, like sometimes she'll she'll say something. How do I look in this? And you know, there's that moment where there's like there's there's a disconnect between like your brain's right behind your mouth, but there's a disconnect, and you're like you just say something, and then you know. Oof. And then I say, babes, this is why you should bring your friend shopping with you. Um, because, you know, sometimes you're just doff as a guy, you know. like Because sometimes it's like she'll try something a little bit out there. And, like, if, if you're not wildly excited in the first 0.3 seconds, it's over for you <laughs> as a man. Like, you just got to gush. And I don't know how to do that. Um, so it, it is quite an amazing thing. And on the other hand, like, on, on a serious side, like, I, as a pastor, like, I have sat with people. Like, I remember sitting with this guy. He was just... A giant of a man, like huge, he he was successful, he had everything going for him, but I remember we were dealing with a really tough issue in his life, and and I was asking about his relationship with his dad, and he said, tell me about this time when he, he, as a kid, about a a nine or ten year old, he asked his dad, dad, do you think I've got what it takes to be a professional rugby player? And his dad looked at him and said, "I, I don't know if you've got what it takes, and it shaped his whole life. And it's like one sentence where in that moment that dad kind of just missed it. And you don't know what's going on in his life, right? Like, he could have had a whole bunch of stuff. He could have had the worst day ever at work. He could have, like, been going through his own doubts and fears. Like, he could have just been off his game, but one sentence somehow got inside of him and shaped him. And and so the Bible actually has so much to say about what comes out of our mouth. I'm just going to read a few of these Proverbs just to kind of... Paints picture. This is just from the book of Proverbs. Like I'm not even getting to James yet, you know. It's like, like I'm actually not going to read all of the stuff for James because it's like it's a Sunday, right? Like that's for midweek stuff. You, got, <laughs> you can dig into a little bit more, but it's a little bit tricky. But anyway, Proverbs 11:9. Evil words destroy one's friends. Wise discernment rescues the godly. It is foolish to belittle a neighbor. A person with good sense remains silent. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but hard words stir up anger. I mean, I'm not even preaching it, I'm just reading some scriptures. Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. A person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. Telling lies about others is as harmful as Hitting them with an axe. I don't know, like, <laughs> have you seen what an axe does? Telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. It's, and what's amazing about this is on the one hand, there's incredible destruction that can happen around our words, but on the other hand, there's incredible capacity for life. You see, so often with these verses, because, like, I grew up in a little bit of legalistic church, and so, like, I knew the things, you know, like, again, James, around how, you know, it's like set on flame, <laughs> by, by the, set on fire by hell and that kind of stuff. Like, I knew all the negative ones. But on the other hand, like, there's these extraordinarily positive things that are possible that if we, if we give ourselves to understanding how to speak, we can produce life all around us. And so that's really what I want to get to today. And obviously there's the warnings, but there's also the fact of life. Proverbs 18, 20 to 21. From the fruits of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Do you understand that part of this, your satisfaction and life and your experience of satisfaction is what you allow to, to come out of your mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. And like, I was always like, ah, death is in the power of the tongue. But life is also in the power of the tongue. That means you can, you can shape the, the, the course of your life, you can shape the fruitfulness of your life by what you allow to come out your mouth. It's an amazing thing that we can actually give life to ourselves and the people around us this way. The problem with it is, as I said, sometimes there's a short circuit between our brain and our mouth. In fact, James 3.2 says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Amen, I'm, I'm saying amen to that. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So apparently the, the hardest thing to control is our tongue. And so in this sense, you've got to have lots of grace for yourselves. If you're not perfect, uh, we all make many mistakes. And on the other sense, we've got to have grace for other people. If they're not perfect, we all make many mistakes. Uh, I remember a time, you see, this is where I'm going to be vulnerable and, and tell you a time where I'm messed up so that we can all feel okay about ourselves. Um, I was I was working overseas, I was in Israel, and I actually had this phenomenal boss. He he was like, at that time, he was like 57. He used to go to bed at like 11, wake up at 1, pray for an hour, go to bed, wake up at 5.15, go for a prayer run. He was just like the most energized, life-giving Man, But he was also a little bit like all over the show. Like, you know you get like a package deal, like there's life and energy, but he's also like a little bit like this. And I remember I was speaking uh, to another guy I was working with uh, about him, and, and out of my mouth, like we were talking about him, and I said, out of my mouth, because I was a bit frustrated with some of this leadership stuff, and I said, you know, about my boss, I said, B's A-D-D. And as I said it, like the Holy Spirit just went, in my spirit, I was like, oof. That was bad. So I went home and I prayed and I said, Holy Spirit, I know, like I just I crossed the mark there. What do you want me to do? And He said, Go tell your boss. Which I was like, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go tell your boss. And so I remember I said, How hey, do you And I sat down with and I said, Look, this is what happened and this is what I said. And He was extraordinarily gracious to me. He just said, Go square off with the person that you said that to. And and I did. And but like when you're actually in that moment when the Holy Spirit now, like God was fathering me. You see, because sometimes we say offhand comments and we know it was wrong, but when we really say, God, I want to journey in this thing and the Holy Spirit reminded me, he said, okay, well, do you want to grow? Yes, well, go have this conversation. And all of a sudden, I had to use my mouth to A, be radically honest about what I'd done to ask for forgiveness and in that sense to patch up and to produce life in the place where my mouth had produced death. And so what we want to do today is kind of have a scope about how to produce life with our mouth. And it's not as obvious as we always think. But like, what's the attitude and the commitment we need to arm ourselves if we're going to go on this journey? So Ephesians 4.15 says this, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are going to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There's two things here. Number one, we're meant to speak the truth. We're meant to be radical truth tellers. And sometimes the truth is inconvenient. Sometimes we'd rather not say it. And on the other hand, we need to speak the truth in love. I, I love Jesus because he is so radically, frightfully direct. I mean, the stuff that he says... And not just, like, sometimes he he deals with his friends. Like, he tells Peter, Peter says, no, Jesus, forbid it that you're going to go to the cross. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I was like, (laughs) "Yo!" Like, that's, you know, perfectly loving, gracious, kind Jesus. Says, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus also, he, he... absolutely fearlessly takes on corruption within the political and religious spheres around him. He says something like this. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. And Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I'll keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day, I'll accomplish my purpose. In other words, foxes biblically, because it's, it comes up in Song of Solomon where it says, catch us the foxes that ruin the orchards. It's not always the lions and tigers and bears that ruin the harvest. Sometimes it's the little things that nip at your heels and you think are an irritation, but they end up destroying. You know, the little side comment, the little side chats, the little... And so Jesus saying, hey, my, my purpose is to heal and cast out demons and preach the gospel, and that's what I'm going to do, and I'm not going to be distracted by a small fox like Herod Antipas. Who, by the way could kill him and then in Matthew twenty-three fifteen, he has a small discussion with the Pharisees and he says what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees hypocrites for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then turn out and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you are yourselves the words of our loving savior <laughs> I mean we've got to reconcile this sometimes right Because sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes even the spirit of the living God is going to whisper things to your spirit where you're going to go, oh, that doesn't sound right, but it can be him. Because he speaks to us directly and he speaks truth into our lives. Why? Because it's truth that sets you free. And so there's this way in which we need to understand I can speak real truth, but do it in love. And when I look at this version of Jesus, on the one hand, he can can steward a person who's absolutely broken and bring life there. On the other hand, he can take on these corrupt political religious systems and absolutely fearlessly. And I just see in myself how different I am from Jesus. Sometimes I speak the truth, but I don't do it in love. Have you ever been to that place where it's like, You've been avoiding a situation and avoiding a situation, and then all of a sudden, you blurt something out. And then it's like a mess. And then sometimes afterwards, you'll even tell yourself, well, at least, you know, I I told them the truth. Yeah, but not in love. You might have told them the truth out of frustration. You might have told them the truth out of judgment. You might have told them the truth out of all the wrong emotion. And there was bitterness there. And this thing was slow brewing in your heart for like six weeks. And then that's more like me than, you know, Jesus version. (laughs) And then there's this other side of things where actually we've got to speak the truth in love. And I find so often that that when I speak the truth sometimes I do it out of a base of fear not love because perfect love costs out all fear and I find that I'm afraid and, I'm, and you know I justify it with very clever reasons sometimes I actually avoid telling people the truth because I'm saying actually I'm just going to love them and, like they can't handle it you know clever reasons they can't handle it right now actually I can't handle it and don't believe I've got the skill to have the conversation. I don't want to hurt them. They're going through a lot. I don't want to harm the relationship. And we've got all these things that we, we, we tell ourselves. But the truth is, is that either we're scared of rejection, we're scared of a breakdown in a relationship, we're scared of the other person's thing, or we're scared that we don't have the skill levels to be able to have that conversation. But saying that I'm acting in love is not the truth. And so you've got these two things. And so I want to speak about our radical commitment to speaking the truth. And then our radical commitment to love. Matthew five twenty three to 24. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. We we don't really get the sacrifice to the altar thing. Anyone gone and taken a sacrifice to the altar lately? See, it's us as figurative, okay? So, in the way we, we would say, sacrifice at the altars when when you come to the altars when you're responding to a prompting of the Holy Spirit, and He's showing you something in your life that needs to change, and in that vulnerability you come up and you actually I want to change on a prayer, and normally you come forward and someone prays for you. It was the same thing for them. In the, in the Old Testament system of temple worship, they realize something that is wrong and they want to be made right to with God. And the amazing thing is you're in the middle of this vulnerable moment of worship with God and you remember that someone's got something against you. Leave that moment and go be reconciled to your brother. It's amazing that sometimes the way we seek reconcil- reconciliation with other people brings more glory to God than our intimate moments of worship. You see, so often we, we we like to draw a distinction, like me and God are fine, but these people, woo And God says, no, 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 no. It's one and the same thing. You worship me by seeking reconciliation over here. And so, and the amazing thing is, you remember they got something against you, and so you, you might have done something to them, or, or they've just taken it the wrong way, but there's a breakdown in a relationship, and the Bible says, as far as possible with you, go and uh, seek to be right, or seek to be at peace with all men. Next verse, if anyone... If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. The amazing thing is in the first version, you remember that someone has got something against you. Now you've got someone against someone else, something against someone else. In other words, it doesn't matter where the offense originated. It doesn't matter who's to blame. It doesn't matter how it started. You just realize there's a relational breakdown. Either you've wronged them or they've wronged you. Take the initiative to go seek reconciliation. And so often you're like, yeah, but you know, maybe it's like 80% them, 20% me. Yeah, but you're 100% responsible for your 20%. Regardless of their 80%, regardless of what they do with it, you're 100% responsible for whatever you brought into that situation that resulted in a relational breakdown. Take the initiative to own your part But the thing is here is that, and for me, I'm this person, like I don't really like conflict, and I'm very okay with being the one to blame, but I find it very difficult to say, hey, this is what you did that hurt me. And that's for me where I fudge the thing, right? Because I'm so scared that if I say, hey, this is what you did that hurt me, that they'll turn around and say, yeah, but you. And so I protect myself by saying, "Ah, I'll be wrong. Generally speaking, you get two kinds of people in life. this version, you're like, hey, yeah, yeah, me, I'll change. I'll change myself to fix this problem. And the other version, which is like, yeah, you need to change yourself to fix this problem. And when these people find each other, you get stuck. My, my youngest brother and I are the opposite versions. I'm the yeah, I'll change. And I remember once, and he's the opposite version. So I remember once going to him and saying, yeah, this is what happened. We had this relationship breakdown. This is what I did. I'm so sorry. And he said, Good. <laughs> To which I was like, no, but now you're supposed to be sorry because I'm sorry. And he's like, no. So I actually had to learn to be assertive in this space and be like, hey, bro, when you do X, Y, and Z, this is how it makes me feel. This is the effect of it. And so that's what, this is the process. It says if the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. In other words, you've used your mouth to produce laugh. The spirit of unity, the spirit of blessing, the spirit of togetherness. You've used your mouth to produce life. Uh, Verse 16, but if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everyone you say may be confirmed. Everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. There's a process to this. The interesting thing is, in the beginning it says, go privately and point out the offense. What happens is we like to go and find the two or three people, get them in our camp beforehand, and then go privately and point out the fair. So what happens is like you're in the office and like it's amazing that they say that so much of the, the conflict, so much of the, the meeting happens after the meeting. You know, you're in a really tough meeting at work, and everyone's a little bit quiet, and then you walk out and all of a sudden everyone's got so much to say. Anyone ever seen this? And then you go to the water cooler, and your friend comes up and then you just shake your head and you let out a sigh. And you know you're, you're, hoping they're, you're hoping they can ask you, what's wrong? And then you're going to go, ah, no. <laughs> and then you're going to say, no, really? What's wrong? And you say, oh, well, if I have to. <laughs> and you'll tell them about this person. Because what you're hoping is one of two things. Number one, they're going to agree with you. Like, yeah, that's wrong. And there's a proverb that says, whoever speaks first seems right until they cross-examined. You see, when you tell your side of the story without the other person there, you're always right. Which is why we don't want to go have that conversation. And so, this is generally what we do. We build camps, and sometimes we're quite clever at it, you know? The Christian version is in a prayer circle. I, just, I have something I need to share for prayer. <laughs> but the point is, is that you get to pray, you and God, and then go privately and go point out that offense. And it's amazing what happens in that space. <laughs> Because all of a sudden you go, hey, this is what happened. This is how I experienced it. And the person's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. You're like, "Like okay, I haven't spoken about this to four other people already. Because this was just a simple misunderstanding. But all of a sudden, the misunderstanding, and, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but sometimes you, you hear something about someone else before you meet them. And when you meet them, they're not starting at zero. <laughs> they're starting at minus. And conversely, sometimes you hear something about someone. Like I've had people I've met, and someone's like, "Oh, you got to meet this guy. They're amazing." And you, you meet them, and you think they're the best person already, and you've got nothing to base it on other than one person's voice. And so, the way we set people up to win in community is absolutely crucial. And then the last thing is, is if they still refuse to listen, take it to the church. Then, in, if she or, he or she won't accept the church's decision, otherwise, mediated conversation is really helpful. And if you do community properly. In other words, if you're committed to community at some point, you're going to end up in mediated conversations. Treat that person as a, oh, I love this, but treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Woo, yeah. Which means we get to burn them at the stake. No, it, it means we get to treat them as people that Jesus loves and died for. We just don't expect them to have Christian behavior. We still get to love them. We just drop our expectation of what we expect from them. Because I remember like, ah, yes, I get to treat them like a pagan or corrupt tax collector. And someone pointed out, it's like Jesus hung out with them, loved them. They felt safe with him. But he was there to reconcile them to the Father. And so these are the, the two things is that at some point you've got to have a radical commitment. I don't know about you, but like when I was preparing the sermon, I was like, yo, I've got like five conversations I need to go have. I want you to know this. Every time a preacher preaches, it's like, <laughs> like I've been, you, you're hearing this for the first time. I've been thinking about this for two weeks. <laughs> man. And Scripture is so radical in the way it deals with us, and it doesn't let us off the hook, and it removes the wiggle room that we to create for ourselves of why we don't do these things, and why we're avoiding that conversation. But here's the thing. If God's told us to go and do this, then He's with us when we go and do this. And He's with you in that moment. Because so often you think of yourself like, I don't think I'm going to be able to have this conversation. But when you go there, the Holy Spirit anoints you to have the conversation. And the Holy Spirit helps you. And the Holy Spirit helps the other person. The Holy Spirit prepares the person. Because if He told us to do something when we were obedient, He's with us. So have great courage that God will be with you. And so that's the first thing is have an absolute radical commitment to speaking the truth the second part of it is love. And sometimes we get stuck in the space, but can I even say something that's hard to hear or something that's going to hurt someone in love? And this is what Proverbs 27 verse 6 to us, it says faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That's so counterintuitive. You're like, no, 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 profuse are the kisses of a friend and unfaithful are the wounds of an enemy. It's like no. If someone's coming to you that in having a difficult conversation, chances are they're committed to your relationship. They want it to work. That's why they're coming to speak. And you've got to know that, that there's a faithfulness from the friendship capacity of the other person when they come to you to have these conversations. So the other part of this is speak the truth in love. And so I'm going to go to that great text on love. And just have the lens of the way you speak as we read this. Love is patient... And kind, so our speech needs to be patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Our speech must not envy or boast. It's not arrogant, it's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Yours, this is again like don't the Holy Spirit's helping us, <laughs> giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I really want to focus in on that, that last part of that stuff, just in terms of the preparation, as you're preparing your heart to go have some of these conversations. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Choose to believe the best about the person you've got conflict with. Choose to believe the best about them. Choose to believe that there could be really valid reasons for why they've done what they've done. And sometimes valid doesn't mean that we justify the reasons, but like, I don't know about you, but so often I find myself responding out of my own insecurity or my own wounds or my own frustration, and that's why I do what I do. And so when someone calls me out on it, it's like, I agree with you and I'm trying to give you the best, but there's moments that my best isn't enough. (laughs) And love encourages us. And so often when we choose to believe the best about people, it prepares us so adequately, so wonderfully to go and have these difficult conversations because then we're not coming in judgment. We're coming in, hey, I just want to check in with you and see where you're at. Like, I'm not sure if you're aware that this is how you came across or when you said this to me, this is how I felt. And it allows conversation to blossom in that space. I don't know if, you, if you've if you ever been in a situation where a person's called you out and you so valued the way that they did it that it invited you really into maturity and into greater depth of relationship with that person. Because for all of us at some point in our life, we we wonder like, man, if I go through conflict with this person, Is the the relational connection, is it strong enough to survive the conflict? And when you find that they still seek reconciliation, they still seek a solution, you're like, wow, you're really committed to me. That's why relationships grow through conflict. Conflict is a normal part of life. I I remember so clearly a a time when I was dealing with an issue and I was living overseas at that stage and I had two people come to me and, and speak to me about it but they really came off a base of judgment. Like I felt judged in that moment. And I felt like they're calling me out, not up. And I felt like, and they were right in what they were saying, but because it was directed at me in such a way that I felt judged, it's like my defenses got up, I got, and I couldn't hear what they were saying. And a few months later, I had the same conversation with another person, but this person prefaced it with, Man, I don't really think you mean to do this. And I don't really think you know how you're coming across, but when you do XYZ, this is the effect it has. And because she came from a base of love and believing the best about me, God, my heart was opened and I was able to hear what she said, and it worked a beautiful repentance in my life where God set me free of that thing. You don't understand when you believe the best about someone and you, you season your speech with love and grace, you actually give the, best, the other person the best chance of changing. And you know, so often we look at this stuff and we're like, man, I'm so far from being even halfway decent at this stuff. But the truth is, is that as you commit yourself to it, God empowers you, God's with you, God helps you, and God disciplines you and disciples you into wholeness in the space. And as you're committed to saying, God, as a part of being your disciple, This is what you tell me to do, so I'm going to do it whether I'm good at it or not, trusting that you're going to be with me. And it's amazing how God gets involved in really in discipling his kids in this area. Matthew 5, 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. The amazing thing is that children look like their parents. Like I've got Judah now, if you see him, people are like, "Ah, snap! You and Dad the same." It's like my wife's like, "Yeah." Some people are like, "Oh, we see some of Teresa." I'm like, "None of her. It. It's all me." You know, like I'm, so, I'm like the proudest dad in the world, and and I know in time, like his behavior is going to reflect the home that he's come from, and that's uh, a little bit frightening. You know, it's like a walking advertisement for your house, but. But we get to be called children of God because we work for peace, because that's who our God is. And when you're going, man, I'm radically committed to peace with each other. I'm radically committed to speaking the truth in love. I'm radically committed to confronting what needs to be confronted and to being gracious when people confront me. We actually get to be children of God. I mean, we are already, but we look like Him. And we talk like him and we walk like him because he's molded us and shaped us because we've given ourselves to be disciples of Jesus, who so modeled this for us. And I just want to encourage you like, you can be sitting here, I don't know if you're like me in this process, you're like, I've got three conversations I need to go have. Write them down, go have them. Go have them. So much of growing as a Christian isn't learning anymore. It's just doing what we already know. And that's where the courage is and that's where the grace is. So let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this radical gift of your word that just, it it strengthens us, but it also, man, God, we just need the Holy Spirit to be obedient. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us, God. And I just pray, Father, for all of us that we would speak the truth in love. Not just speak the truth, not just love, but do both. And Father God, I pray for all of us, God, as we we walk into areas that can be difficult or or a struggle for us. God, I thank you that you're with us, that you empower us, that you uh, just breathe your life into these spaces. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you so much, Gary. Such an important topic. Um, you really should write those names down and, and be bold and go and do it. Um, poor Danny will never sit next to me again because I grabbed her leg and said, Have you got something to share with us today? And uh, she's very boldly said yes. So come, Danny. Off the cafe, eh? come, come, come. Very brave, Danny, thank you. <laughs>
2: um, yeah, so God has lately been giving me pictures. Um, for specific people or um, for people in general. And I've had this picture actually years ago when I've been told that um, I'm a little bit prophetic and or that God has given me an amazing gift. And I've never shared it, So, and God keeps reminding me of it. And what I've learned is that if I don't share a picture, usually God keeps reminding me until I eventually share it. So I'm part doing this so he can stop reminding me. <laughs> But but, um, I'm going to try and not have VDD as well and just quickly share it. So the picture was of a person lying on an operating table and um, having open heart surgery. And um, maybe I was watching too much Grey's Anatomy at that time. But it was was ugly and it was messy and um, not a very pretty picture. But Jesus came in and he took his gloves off and with his bare hands he took the heart and kept it alive just before the machine flatlined, or monitor, whatever you call it, But and he just kept pumping at the heart and keeping it alive, and over the years of going over this picture, basically, it felt like some people kind of just, you need to have the surgery, you need to um, sign the consent form saying, yes, I'm going to have the surgery, and it's going to be messy, it's not going to be pretty, but to trust that God is going to come and pump your heart and keep it alive and um, gentle with his, his beautiful hands. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for your words that you give to your children and the gifts that you give us. And, um, yeah, Father, I just want to lift up anyone in that room who that word resonates with. God, would you please give them courage to step forward and just to allow us to go on a journey with them? Father, we thank you for this day, this day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it.
0: In Jesus' name, amen.